0: Hello, this is Andrea from the Shelf Love Podcast, and I am recording a special mini episode in Hyderabad, India. I am currently on a work trip with some colleagues. I just had a two-day layover in Dubai and got into India um, less than 24 hours ago. And in that time, I have slept for like three hours, had a bunch of meetings, had some delicious Hyderabad Birani, and other delicious food. And it's been a really great packed day. I'm kind of exhausted taking anti-malarial pills that make you have very vivid dreams. So it's the perfect time to record an episode, right? Totally. So this is going to be a special weird little episode because although I prepared many episodes before I left for India, um, I didn't have time to edit them. So I put it out on social media that I was gonna do this little episode because for some reason it seemed like it was easier to record a net new mini episode than edit any of the episodes that I had in the bag. So this is basically the call-in show of the Shelf Love Podcast because I have lots of questions from listeners on social media. So let's have some fun. Christina.us.uk posed as a suggestion holiday romances, and that's the perfect topic for discussing Kate Claiborne's discussion that is coming up on the podcast about A Midnight Feast by Emma Berry and Genevieve Turner. We discussed domestic labor, a little bit about emotional labor, a lot about women and work, and the expectations for what valuable labor is in the world and the society that we live in. That book is about a marriage in trouble, and it takes place during the space race era, 1963. The husband is an astronaut and the wife is a housewife. I hate that term. I Let me know if anybody has a better term for that, but I think even Margie would call herself a housewife and mother. And It's a marriage and trouble story. It is a holiday romance. It takes place, it starts on Thanksgiving and it hits a few other holidays as well in there. So that one's gonna drop just before Thanksgiving. And so it's gonna be very timely. So question about Thanksgiving while I am chatting about it. I'm super curious if you guys think that releasing an episode on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving makes sense. I'm a little bit worried that it will get lost in the shuffle of Thanksgiving. But somebody else told me that they thought that people might actually have more time that week to listen to podcasts. Like they have a couple of days off and after Thanksgiving, maybe they're catching up on podcasts and are looking for something to listen to. Um, I'm super curious what you guys think about that because I this is a fairly new podcast. It's only been out for a few months and so I haven't quite picked up on seasonal or holiday trends with my listeners and so i'm very curious when do you find the most time to listen to podcasts do you kind of want to like pull back a little bit in the holidays or is that when you want to dig in please let me know either on social media or you can email me whenever you want at andrea at shelflovepodcast.com hea apologist asked which darcy is the best and it's matthew McFadden, a hundred percent So the reason this is relevant is E is reading from Twitter, who is part of Spark Joy Romance on Twitter, put out the question about which Darcy is the best Darcy and created a poll. And I believe this did seem to fall along generational lines. But Matthew McFadden is totally my Darcy. I'm sorry, I cannot get into what tends to be everybody else's favorite, and that is Colin Firth. I'm sorry, like by the time I was coming of age and becoming a mature woman, Colin Firth was kind of like dad age. I don't know. It just didn't appeal to me. And I do, I do agree. I know some people have said things about how Matthew McFadden, the adaptation with Keira Knightley, it's a bit less like pomp and circumstance and and i think was going for more of a realistic vibe it's a little grittier the emotions are a bit less stiff and i think a bit more relatable definitely as a millennial so yeah i'm just a predictable millennial on this one Christina.us.uk said as a topic to discuss romance involving travel. I got nothing, Christina. You know who you should talk to? Brie Hill from Falling for Romance because she loves travel. And I bet Brie has found some books to recommend. Please. Also, anybody else. That's like not my thing. In fact, it is kind of amazing that I'm on this trip because I generally do not like travel. And so, of course, I went halfway around the world. One of the things that I want to talk about is mass market paperbacks and the reason I am going to talk about this is because it was suggested by Keeney Allen. Keeney was on my fifth episode. We read Time Served by Juliana Keys. Check that episode out if you haven't yet. Keeney is so knowledgeable about romance novels. She runs smexybooks.com, reads a lot of contemporary romance, and she's very opinionated and I love her for it and so I feel like she's stirring up a little shit here and I'm happy to wade into it so thanks Keeney for throwing this topic out there if you are on romance Twitter then you maybe have heard or seen some of the tweets about mass market paperbacks and trade paperbacks. So a lot of the books that are coming out are trade paperbacks. These are the sort of like bigger format, glossier, a lot of them are having those illustrated covers. And some romance readers, including Jen Reads Romance, who co-hosts the Faded Mates podcast with Sarah McLean, lots of people have some thoughts and feelings about what's happening with trade paperbacks. Because to summarize the conversation, it seems like publishers are trying to position these trade paperbacks as more like women's fiction, or the audience that they are trying to target is not traditional romance readers. They seem to be trying to create a more palatable, less controversial, or like less explicitly romance book that they are hoping casual romance readers or non-romance readers are going to pick up. And I think the nerve that this is hitting for a lot of romance readers is the feeling that we're being marginalized in our own genre. So, you know, romance readers have supported these authors and the genre for years. And as part of that, what's happened with the, I don't want to say the rise of ebooks, but the greater emphasis on ebooks for genre fiction has meant that. There are not a lot of retailers that really focus on mass market paperbacks, which are those kind of smaller, fatter books that have kind of a different paper stock even. And the covers definitely signal romance more than these trade paperbacks. And What's interesting is I went into my local bookstore, my local indie bookstore in Beverly, Massachusetts. It is Copper Dog Books. It's actually recently purchased by locals. And so it's like locally owned, like super locally owned. And I've gone into that bookstore many times over the years. And for a long time, I didn't really notice. There, I, there did not seem to be any romance. It's one of those bookshops. It's very small. It has a lot of gifts in it. It does have books, but it tends to focus more on you know, like, bestsellers and literary fiction and biographies and, you know, the kind of book that you can, like, pick up as a gift for somebody – And the bookstore put out something about encouraging people to buy local and not purchase from Amazon. And I sent a message over that I believe was politely worded, basically saying, I would love to buy books from you, but I read primarily romance and I have never seen romance in your store. So maybe you should consider selling romance novels because I would love to buy them from your store. And I'm sure other people would as well. And I got a response from one of the owners and she let me know that her co-owner was a big romance fan, and that they did carry romance, and they had a romance section. And so I felt, first of all, a little embarrassed that I I hadn't noticed that they had started carrying romance, and I was working under some of the older assumptions, maybe pre, um, before they had started owning the bookstore and curating the selection of books there. But I think this also speaks to the experience of a lot of romance readers where we're not used to finding romance in indie bookstores because some bookstores have really a negative view of romance where they're explicitly like really derogatory about the genre and are horrified at the idea that they would carry romance novels and I, un- I completely understand that's not all indie bookstores but if you have enough experiences of going into indie bookstores and asking for the books that you love and hearing that kind of response from somebody who probably is just not very educated about the genre I think it can really turn readers off from that experience and so I think for a while the place you could most predictably find mass market paperback romance would be at a bigger chain store like Barnes and Noble, or to buy it on Amazon, or or to buy e- an ebook version. And ebooks tend to be a little bit less expensive. With self-published authors, they're not always less expensive, but because there's less overhead—not no overhead—but less overhead than a publishing house, they are able to price their books at maybe a lower price point. And so you have to think that publishers are the competitive landscape is. Different now than it was 5, 10, 20 years ago. And you know what? That's a bit like a banal statement to be like, oh, it's different now. It's always different. Things are always changing. But I think I understand that publishers are trying to figure out how to make money. And if part of the way they're trying to make money is with purchasing books by romance novelists and promoting them and promoting them in a way that exposes them to potential readers, I think that's great. But on the other hand, When you know that your target market is incredibly loyal, I think it's also risky to potentially alienate your core audience. Because maybe a reader who likes women's fiction, maybe they pick up a few books a year. I mean, I don't think I'm being overly generalizing to stereotype in this way, I think that the data on how many books romance readers read compared to other genres or people who tend to read other types of books, I think that's pretty well established that romance readers read a lot compared to other genres. So if you can sell 20 books at a lower price point to a romance reader a year compared to two books at a higher price point to a reader who's maybe a little bit less loyal to the genre. I mean, it seems like it's a risky move to go that way. I think publishers are hoping that romance readers will continue to buy the books no matter what, but I think there's also very, it's very clearly signaling to romance readers that there's a little bit of shame there, right? I mean, I I do get the sense that it's like, yeah, we know people who aren't hardcore romance readers don't want to pick up an embarrassing cover book and read it at the airport. And I have mixed feelings about this because I've always been pretty in-your-face about my reading tastes. And, you know, that's kind of the person I am. But I understand that not everybody is like that and not everybody wants to really get into those situations where they feel like they have to defend what they're reading Or have to, I mean, really just have to engage with other people about it. Like, they're like, it's none of anybody else's business. And they can just screw off if they don't like what I'm reading and they just don't need to know. I just don't want to get into it. I get that. I really do. And I think that women generally are told in society that we have to, you know, do this labor for the world. And some people, really fed up with that and on this this is my hill that I want to die on but it's not the hill that most people want to die on so I'm not judging anybody for that but there are these signals that are put out to romance readers about what they can expect when they pick up a book and particularly with romance the cover gives you some sense of what's inside you all probably know what these signals look like you know a lady in kind of a vintage dress slipping down her back is probably a sexy regency novel a book with sort of some dramatic objects dramatically lit on the cover might be more of like a like a bdsm or like romantica or a flirty contemporary might have some abs on the cover i mean you know like you get where i'm going with this so i don't want to say that i have any conclusions here these are just some things i've been thinking about with mass market paperbacks and i think that I, I think that generally it's pretty well agreed that these publishers are not signaling that these books are for romance novelists and what i find problematic about that is kind of talking about being marginalized in our own genre so signaling that there's something wrong with the books that you like and that's not to say you know that we can't change the way things are branded And that can't evolve, but it seems like a very sudden shift into that. And it it definitely seems like a marketing strategy. And, you know, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that I have a history in marketing, specifically in publishing. I am not going to fault any publisher for trying to sell more books. I think where I have some questions is if that is actually the smartest strategy, if you are potentially alienating your core loyal audience. It is a lot easier to continue to engage your loyal audience than it is to go out and find a new audience even if that new audience is larger by magnitudes because they're not as loyal it's going to cost a lot more to reach them and they're just not going to buy as much it's your you maybe you acquire one new reader and you sell 10 books to other people and they never come back again again it's much better to have one loyal reader who reads 20 books a year so that's that's where I have some questions. By no means do I feel like I cracked this nut wide open. I think this is such a huge topic and it touches on so many different things like trends in how people buy books, like digital versus print. And I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I basically work in ebook aggregation. So digital ebooks is a thing I know a little bit about. And I've also worked in print content, although not for a while and not in mass market paperbacks and not at a major publisher. But yeah, we're talking about buying trends. We're talking about audience shifts. We are talking about subtle signals that publishers can send to the audience. And, you know, I don't want to say, I mean, maybe mass market paperbacks are... On their way out, and you know, before we know it, we're we just it's like trade is just totally normal. I think the we're talking about pricing strategy a little bit here because the perception is that trade paperbacks are more valuable. There, you can sell them at a higher price point. And a point that several people have made on social media is, I can't afford to buy a ton of trade paperbacks every year. That's just not in my budget. And I mean, that's complicated too, because there's other ways to get books. You can get books from the library. If you like reading books digitally, sometimes you can get even the digital version of a trade paperback for less than the cost of a trade paperback. Although another part of that is that publishers tend to price the digital version of a trade paperback higher than the digital version of a mass market paperback. So, this is a super complicated issue, and I think it's hard because it feels like the publishers are telling romance readers that what we love about the genre is wrong and shameful and something that should be hidden behind a more palatable a more palatable facade. And I would say that the palatable is in air quotes. Yeah, and I I think from the publisher's perspective, I I can also understand where they're going with that. And I believe publishers are savvy enough to know what they're doing, but I also understand that there's a lot of things that we as readers don't fully understand about the business. I've been on the other side of that, where working in publishing, you hear the criticisms of... You know, whatever endeavor you're involved in. And for lots of reasons, you can't really tell people what's really going on. And you know all the nuance and understand that it's really just not as black and white as it seems from the outside. And so I'm withholding full judgment on what's going on here. I am acknowledging the feelings that I personally have, the things that are being kind of brought up by seeing the trend there. I certainly do not have any censure for any novelists who are releasing books in trade paperback. I think for the most part, most authors are trying to get published and trying to make a living themselves. Yeah, I mean, I'm not definitely not putting blame anywhere in particular, but I think that regardless of who is to blame or if anyone needs to be blamed at all, I think that the feelings that romance readers are having are very legitimate. So I hope that validates your feelings today if you are having feelings about mass market paperbacks. And uh, Keeney, thanks for suggesting this topic. Some other requests I had for topics to talk about came in on Instagram and Pearl Squirrel had this really lovely comment. So she said, tell the people about the traffic, the honking, the tuk-tuks, and the way even the most mundane vehicles are so beautifully adorned. Share the reverence people have for family, the way men can be platonically physically affectionate without it being weird, the palpable sense of community and the unmatched hospitality. His was some of that sweet Bollywood romance that believes in love at first sight and embraces it with no fear of being cheesy. I have sensed some of this already. So we were driving through Hyderabad in like the middle of the night and the, even in the dark, you could kind of see the decoration on the cars and it was really beautiful. And I've mostly spent a lot of time with, I haven't kind of been out in Hyderabad so much because I've been, with my colleagues in India and meeting them. And that getting to know my colleagues here who I work with all the time has been a really fantastic experience. And I've I've loved that side of it. We are gonna kind of like go out and be tourists a little bit in the coming days. And um, one of the things that we're gonna do is actually go to Remoji Film City, which is where I, I believe like the equivalent is kind of like Universal Studios, but for Bollywood, it's like an amusement park and it's really focused on like the Bollywood film industry. And I'm super excited about that. And so in preparation for coming here, one of the books that I downloaded on my Kindle, because I am definitely um, very e-reader focused, is Bollywood Bride by Sonali Dev. And actually my other two co-workers that are on this trip with me actually also downloaded Bollywood Bride. And so we're reading it together, kind of like a little book club. And I think we'll all probably finish it before we go to Remoji Film City. And I'm super excited to, um, talk more with them about their thoughts on that novel and it's the first romance novel for one of my friends and it is the third for the other and I introduced him to his first two as well so I am being quite the romance novel pusher and um, I like that I could read kind of like a topically relevant book on this trip. So Jenny M. Reads had some questions for me. So here she said, these are some things that she would be interested to know. So when and how did you become a reader of romance? So I first became a reader of romance back when I was like 12 years old around there And I was always a big reader and discovered romance novels at my library and also at my library book sales. So I definitely had to hide my love of romance at first uh, since I was kind of young and nobody in my family was a big romance reader. It wasn't something that was laying around the house that I could kind of pick up. It was something I had to squirrel away and bring into the house somehow. And I think at first, reading romance as a young person, there is a bit of like titillation that's going on, right? Like, it's like, oh my God, like, this is stuff that maybe is going to happen to me one day. And it's all kind of like new and a little bit confusing. And you're like, what? This happens? So I, I think that that was definitely the appeal of romance for me at first. And then I think just romance was definitely. A companion in times in my life where I didn't feel like I had a great group of friends or I was going through just, you know, like nothing like crazy, but like normal teenage or, you know, young 20s ups and downs with relationships and friends and stressors like, you know, going to college and graduating and getting a job and, and all that stuff. And I read romance faithfully throughout all of that. I basically read very little outside of romance. I read a, a bit of nonfiction. I love self-help type books. Like I love Better Than Before by Gretchen Rubin and reading a Harvard Business Review case study. Even though I have worked in publishing for the past 10 years and my love of, I've, I've always loved reading and I, I used to think I wanted to be a writer, but I realized, you know, honestly, I just like reading and I don't have to be a writer to kind of be part of the community. And I, I know a lot of people kind of go through that where you love something so much and you're like, oh, I really want to be a part of this. And you realize that, that actually being a part of it in that way would maybe not be the right thing for you and why you're there. I am not the type of person who has these kind of, like, characters in my head. I I think I come up with, like, situations, like... I come up with the kind of thing that you could hear on Write This Book where it's like the back cover of a book. And that's about as far as I go. Like I could plot a book, but I can't write a book. That's just not the way my brain works. And I realized that at a certain point and decided to stop pushing on it and stop trying to do something that was not actually what I enjoyed about the thing I enjoyed. I enjoy reading romance novels. I don't have to write them. So that's a little bit about how I became a reader of romance and what i've been doing in the with the genre over the years. So, how have my reading tastes evolved over time? So, i've talked before about how i've read a lot of Jennifer Cruz and Lisa Kleypas in, you know, my early years as a romance reader and lots of books like that and, you know, granted this was like 20ish years ago and the genre has evolved quite a bit since then. And so, i think i i would say i've pretty much evolved along with things I'm less drawn to, but also there's things that I really enjoyed when I was 20 or 25 that, or I mean, especially there's things I read when I was like 15 that really just no longer appeal to me. And I feel like that has to do with a topic that I really want to discuss on the podcast eventually one day. Romance novels really reflect the context of the time that they're written in. And I think that it's fine for things to be really enjoyable when you first read them and then you come back to them. And I think it can be a little disappointing to come back to something and not enjoy it as much the second time around or, you know, the 50th time around, but years later, it can be very disappointing because it kind of challenges why did I enjoy this in the first place. But another way to think about it is just that it was the right book for you at that time and that you evolved just as your reading habits did or your reading habits evolved as a result of you evolving as a person. I don't think we should ever be ashamed of growth and I think that the romance industry is growing kind of like as you know the way people grow. It's evolving and maturing and it's correcting some of the mistakes it's made in the past particularly with like diversity and some lots of problematic <laughs> depictions of relationships that you know I don't think it's fair to go back to The Flame and the Flower by Kathleen Woodiwiss and tear it apart from a modern perspective. I think that you know it's one of those books that you can read and you if you kind of understand what was going on at the time and why in particular female sexuality was portrayed in the way that it's portrayed in the book you have to understand that it would never have been able to be popular if it was written like a book can be written in 2019. And that's a reflection of the buyers and the society that existed at the time it was written and that, you know, the readers existed in at the time it was written. It's not that at any given point in time there were not more, you know, scandalous things being written that were less problematic. It's just that they probably weren't as popular because, you know, whatever it was in that other work kind of captured the zeitgeist in a more accurate way, or it was more mainstream. It was more of like the mainstream zeitgeist. So anyways, I would love to talk about that on an upcoming episode. And I would kind of like to hear from you if you think that would be an interesting topic. So let me know. So Jenny M also asked, are there perhaps genres or tropes you used to enjoy, but don't anymore? Oh boy, I think, I think I'm think i always a sucker for a makeover and I know that it's problematic. Like I'm thinking about this book by Susan Wiggs. It's called The Charm School. And it's a little bit of like an ugly duckling story. I mean, literally like the story of the ugly duckling. It um, kind of follows that story arc, but it's so beautiful. And I think that you can look at certain elements of it and say, well, why for her to grow into herself did she have to go from being plump to slender and go from being kind of like pale with glasses to, you know, slightly tanned without glasses? Like, you can kind of hone in on those things and, you know, find them problematic. And, you know, I don't, I really do not want to say this book is like hugely problematic. It's not. There's just a few things that, looking back on it, I'm like, uh, I don't know what the message is there. And I don't know how I feel about it. But I, I really do enjoy that trope. I have, have enjoyed it. And I think the more time goes on, the more I am a bit uncomfortable with it. And I've mentioned before on the podcast that I underwent a bit of a physical transformation myself in the last several years. And it's been very interesting as sort of a sociological experiment because I know how people treated me before and I know how people treat me now. It's weird to say the least. And I spoke about this on episode four with Esme Brett. We were talking about plus-size representation in romance novels, talking about Brazen and the Beast by Sarah McLean, which features a plus-size heroine. And actually, I've recorded several episodes with plus-size heroines, including The Heiress Effect um, by Courtney Milan. And so I think it's clear that this is a an archetype that is being represented more in romance novels and making statements about how you are valuable and worthy of love no matter your size. And I think that's an amazing message. But I also understand that the way we present ourselves physically in the world does change how people treat us. And sometimes our outsides are a reflection of some things that are going on inside. And sometimes as we work on our insides, our outsides change in a way that is, it is a benefit to people. And, and it's a complicated topic because I think that sometimes positive changes that you make for yourself, it's the right decision for you. I think people, myself included, can feel conflicted about what's going on there. So I think uh, I would definitely say makeovers. I mean, oh my God, I love Miss Congeniality and the princess diaries when the makeover scene happens, like, it's so satisfying. Like, what is that speaking to within me? The, the idea that just instantly you can be transformed from, you know, your your outward appearance transforms so dramatically and people start treating you differently. And I think definitely as a young person who did not feel very attractive, you know, I think that was a very appealing trope. So lastly, Jenny M asked, how do you like to read? Print? Print? ebooks or audiobooks. And I definitely prefer to read ebooks. I do read print books sometimes and very rarely audiobooks, although I love podcasts. But for fiction, I really don't find that the audio format works that great for me because I like to kind of pop in and out of books, which is why ebooks work well. A, because I'm very impatient and a lot of times at the moment I want to read a book, I want to read it like right away. And I I need something I can download and not something I have to go out and find in a store or order online and wait for it to arrive. I usually read eBooks on my phone on the Kindle app or the Apple Books app or my Libby app when I get eBooks from the library. So I have a full-time job, I commute to work, sometimes on a train, sometimes I read at lunch at work or in the evenings while I'm like giving my daughter a bath and and, you know there's just a lot of times where I have a few minutes here or there to read and I find ebooks really convenient for that. I very rarely have a long period of time where I can just sit down and dive into a book where a print book is like the best way to do that. So that's a little bit about my reading habits and i would love if you have thoughts about any of the things that i just talked about any of the questions jenny m reads had that you want to answer for yourself feel free to email me at andrea at com, and i'll share responses on future podcast episodes or share with me on social media i'm at shelflovepodcast on instagram and at shelflovepod on twitter Thank you so much for listening to this short, although maybe not so short episode. (laughs) Thanks for joining me. And you know, uh, I guess I could do like my normal call to actions here at the end. So like rate and review. I've gotten some awesome reviews lately, not to toot my own horn, but it is always so gratifying to hear that people are enjoying the discussions on the podcast with my amazing guests and you know the podcast is a lot of work so it definitely is nice to hear the things that you guys enjoy so i can kind of like lean into those things and pull back on the things that maybe you're like you could take or leave so that's it for me i will be flying home sometime in the next couple days and we will be back to our regularly scheduled full episodes next tuesday thanks guys i hope you have a great week bye